welcome to the third episode of the Floor General Podcast. My name is Evan Zaucha. I'm here today with my co-host, Trent Williams. How's it going, man? Pretty good. And with my other co-host, Hayden Brown. Pleasure to be here. And we thought we'd just do a little midweek podcast on a couple of news stories that have cropped up in the last week or two. To start things off, the G League is making big moves. Recently, three top 100 recruits Jalen Green, the first ranked recruit from ESPN's Top 100, Isaiah Todd, the 14th ranked recruit from ESPN's Top 100, and Daishan Nix, the 20th ranked recruit from ESPN's Top 100, have all signed deals to play their post-high school seasons in the NBA G League. So this is kind of a new a new program. The G League has started trying to get the top high school prospects in the building, working with NBA coaches and NBA teams as soon as they possibly can and giving these guys, um, you know, a way to make money with their talents um, without going to the end. So to start things off, uh, what do you guys think of the decisions by Jalen Green, Isaiah Todd, and Daishan Nix? Do you guys think they're doing the right thing? I'm a very pro player uh, type of person in these sorts of arrangements. I I was very uh, disappointed with how uh, the NCAA has been treating players, especially in terms of profiting off of their likeness, without the ability for them to make money in that way, despite the fact that they're generating billions of dollars for this industry. So in that sense, I am all for players foregoing college. It's a bit of an untraditional path so far. The only other one that we really heard about was Darius Baisley from last year. It's definitely something where it's a strange at this point, but I think that especially with somebody as high profile as Jalen Green, um, who most people have as, as one of the top three prospects in next year's draft, kind of foregoing college because of the contract size being a little bit more comfortable, um, I can definitely see this being a, an important development in how prospects view entering the NBA. Trent, what do you think? Would you agree with Hayden that uh, this is a good thing for prospective professional basketball? Uh, for me, I'm not necessarily sure this is going to be good for the players. Um, of course, from an immediate standpoint, they're going to be making anywhere from $125,000 to $500,000, which is a pretty good lump sum of money. Uh, but if we're looking at the big picture, you know, a player is not going to be able to live off of that money. And if they were to fail in the G League and not make it to the pros, um, it is a question on how they would be able to, you know, they would have to either go into college using the money that they got from the G League um, or, you know, figure out something else if basketball doesn't work out. And that kind of scares me a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a totally fair point. One thing to keep in mind is that these guys are getting a scholarship to go to school at some point. So at the very least, you know, they could always go back to school if basketball doesn't work out for them. But um, I do think you have a point there. I mean, the G League is going to be some tough competition. It's for me, you know, probably one of the top five basketball leagues in the world in terms of raw talent and physicality. And, you know, these guys are 18-year-old kids, uh, 17, 18-year-old kids that are going to be playing against grown men. So is it, is it, you think, the best situation for them from a basketball perspective to develop their talents? Or should they look into going to college basketball or even playing overseas like guys like Brandon Jennings and Emmanuel Moutier? Uh, from a talent standpoint, I honestly think it's a really good idea for them. Uh, when do we really see players take that biggest jump from, you know, a skill level standpoint? I think that's during the offseason. Um, if I read correctly, I think they're only going to be playing about 12 games. Um, and other than that, they're pretty much just going to be developing them. So I think it's a really good idea for the players, to, you know, get a jump start on their uh, base skill level. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. 
Hayden, would you agree that uh, from a basketball perspective, these guys are making the right choice in terms of their development going forward? Yeah, certainly. I think that's probably, um, outside of the money, I think that's probably the best uh, case for them. As Trent pointed out, um, the low number of games that they would play in this uh, sort of system that they have set up for these uh, new recruits um, heavily emphasizes the development part of the season, which is the most crucial part. I will say, though, that although I do think that a lot of coaches in the G League are quite talented, uh, coaches like Jerry Stackhouse and even Nick Nurse, who's one of the better coaches in the NBA, uh, made their starts there. And so I can I can definitely see, depending on the right system, they could get some uh, really detailed coaching. I think that the one counter argument probably would be, so I think that there are a lot of genuinely great coaches in college basketball as well that might be a better fit in terms of developing talent. I completely agree with you. The coaching uh, level is definitely a lot higher in the NCAA. That's definitely going to take an edge off for some of these players. Just going through the day-to-day routine, because like you said, they're going to be with these guys for basically the course of a whole year. And a lot of the stuff rubs off on them, whether they're working with Coach K from Duke or Calipari from Kentucky. A lot of those developmental traits aren't going to be passed on to them uh, with you know Joe Schmo from the G League, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I do think that despite there being a lot of talent there, and you also have to consider that all these G League teams are funded by their respective NBA teams. So I can imagine that the training staff and such is probably, you know, they're probably very robust. But there is, I think there is also something to be said about players being able to get confidence by o- physically overwhelming college players. I think people like I think an example of this uh, was like the Duke kids from the 2019 draft, specifically Zion and RJ, built a lot of confidence in their offensive ability and, and I guess, defensive as well, based on just kind of being able to blow by guys um, and sort of be that star player and kind of get used to the presence of that. I could see that being a small downturn in that, but I think that the counter argument to that, of course, being uh, matching up against real NBA size and athleticism right away might make it easier for them to transition into the NBA. It might be a smoother transition that way, um, even if it isn't something where it feels like they're dominating right away. Yeah, I think I definitely agree with what both of you said. One small point in terms of the logistical nature of how these new G League deals will be set up, it sounds like these guys are going to be playing for a new G League team. It's going to be playing kind of like exhibition games almost against other G League teams. And so this G League team won't be an affiliate of another NBA team. And on top of that, these guys are all going to be, you know, one and done at the G League level, essentially. The idea is that they'll be drafted by an NBA team next year. So do you guys think coaches have enough incentive to get these guys playtime? Well, that's probably the best solution for it, right? So the one thing I can think of is that if they weren't placed on a separate team, there's obviously a conflict of interest because there will be one NBA team that has more information on these prospects than the rest of the teams. They'll be able to monitor them more closely. The coaching and training staff directly report to their team staff, and they basically get to baby them in like an incubator for their for their roster. So I completely understand from that. Uh, that from that standpoint. Yeah, I think in them being on their own separate G League team, you know, kind of for prospects does kind of invalidate some of those concerns for me a little bit because they're on this team for the declared goal of developing. They signed up with these ramifications in place. The coach knows he's got to play these guys. You know, the team is built for this. Yeah, just agreeing with that exactly. I think that the other concern being, you know, will the coaches actually play these kids and prioritize their development over the sake of the team winning? Those fears are also squashed in this sort of uh, structure. 
Yeah, because as we know, information is the most valuable commodity that NBA front offices trade in. And if you put these top prospects on an NBA team's G League affiliate, they could hide the guy, you know, they could play them in in adverse situations just to give other teams uh, a less accurate picture of their talents. Trent, what do you think about the way this is set up in terms of guys playing on a team specifically for prospective talent? Um, I honestly think it's a very good idea. Like you said, there's a lot of uh, biases that could come out out of them being on one G League team. But another thing that I'm concerned with about the players, what are the odds, you know, they play one year and kind of just get lost in the fold of the actual G League, you know, not in the team that they're at now where it's kind of like a whole separate gig. I'm talking about after they get drafted and let's say they get put back onto another G League team because they're not as good, you know, is it is it harder to get out of the G League or is it harder to get out of college and get drafted? You know, that that's kind of my question here. I think that's a great question because really, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I don't watch a whole lot of G League basketball. And so the picture we're going to be getting of these guys, a lot of it is going to be, you know, can we get access to tape? That's going to be a huge thing. I don't think it'll be too hard. But at the same time, what is the media narrative about these guys' performance? Is a guy going to, you know, uh, I've seen some concerns about Isaiah Todd specifically, people saying, you know, he's not that great of a prospect. I haven't watched film of him yet, so not my opinion per se. But uh, could a guy like Isaiah Todd get buried in the G League? And then it's just like, you know, you're not seeing him play every week. So where did he go? Is he even on the radar anymore? I think that the the closest probably comparison uh, specifically with Todd or, or maybe just in general prospects that people are maybe on the fence about or are a little uh, concerned with. I think the Darius Baisley comparison, it is it is pretty logical. It didn't exactly hurt his draft stock, despite him not really performing that well at the G League level and maybe raising more concerns than people had before he entered or exited high school, excuse me. Um, I can I can definitely see more concerns cropping up, especially in the case of bigs like Baisley and Todd. If they are weighing, you know, 200, 210 pounds and going up against NBA-sized adults, I can definitely see that posing a problem. But I do think that there's something to be said about there being a precedent for a draft stock necessarily not really taking a hit and people kind of understanding that the G League is a difficult league and that players that are that young will need time to develop past the point of just, you know, that one season. I would agree with you that that Baisley point is a good point um, to kind of assuage those concerns. I mean, really, what's the difference between a bad season in the G League and a season like maybe Cole Anthony just had, you know, where he didn't match up to his AAU and high school tape as much and there are general concerns about his burst. You know, what's the difference between not performing up to expectations in the G League and not performing up to expectations in college basketball? Exactly. I mean, Cam Reddish went, what, 10th overall, and he shot like under 40% on two-pointers at the collegiate level, which is probably one of the biggest red flags you could have about a prospect. So I I think that there's something to be said about those red flags not really mattering because teams are more set on those developmental parts of that as well. Trent, do you think one or more of these guys has a risk to get buried on a G League ride? Um, these guys are pretty top tier, you know, five-star. I really like Isaiah Todd, Dacian Nix, and Jalen Green's game. Uh, but I think just as a general, yes, like, yes, you can get buried very easily because it's kind of like this out of sight, out of mind. And I think another question that needs to be brought up when, you know, telling whether a prospect is going to get buried in the G League, how, how much does, you know, fan, you know, scouting really matter? You know, how much does media really involve in how these GMs are making decisions about who they draft, right? Because I'm telling you right now, there's going to be a whole lot less coverage of a player in the G League from, you know, a, let's say, quote unquote, Twitter or a fan perspective uh, than there is going to be if they went to a college, right? 
So another question, like I said, that needs to be asked is, does the media matter at all when it comes to these GMs picking who they have? Or is it kind of just going to be completely on them? And whether they're in the G League or college, it doesn't really matter. They're going to be watching the games regardless. I think there's absolutely something to be said about that. I think that like if you if you can guarantee that somebody is like a superstar, like is going to maybe sell tickets, that's definitely something that maybe I'm not sure if GM should be focusing on something like that. But players that have generally like an electric style of playing or are fun to watch are definitely at least uh, I think I can imagine GMs being poked by the ownership groups definitely to consider those prospects a little bit more strongly as kind of a foundation for like sales and fandom in the future. I'm not sure how, how smart that is of a basketball team making decision, but I could definitely see G League players getting kind of washed over by the players that are expected to go ahead. And this is a really stacked draft class, allegedly, probably topped off by Cade Cunningham, who's going to be in Oklahoma State. So if, if Cade's getting an, a ton of national attention, I can definitely see somebody like Jalen Green kind of getting washed under. And that leads me to another question about this topic. Do you think these guys, especially Jalen Green, will raise the profile of the G League and kind of get it on the casual fan radar? I think this all kind of goes down to how much they broadcast it. Like if they're putting these things on ESPN, ESPN2, uh, making it accessible for the fans, then I'm going to tune into these games just like they're a college game. I mean, they have three top five recruits on one team. I mean, that's some good basketball. I'm definitely going to be watching it. Yeah, I completely agree with what Trent said. I think that there's something to be said about just the visibility of it. A lot of people were worried about uh, the WNBA's marketing, for example, and the WNBA draft was uh, hugely successful and uh, highly watched simply because it was on ESPN. So I think that exposure really matters in that way. I do think that there's something to be said about, yeah, like definitely there is a, a team in the G League that is full of young, exciting prospects and they're all going to be playing together. I think that's something that people would likely want to see. But in the past, in my own personal experience, I haven't really watched the G League outside of when they're doing really weird experimental things. About five years back, the Sacramento affiliate was hoisting 73s a game and I wanted to see what basketball like that looked like or they were cherry picking or something like that i haven't really used it in terms of a full-blown entertainment source but i think that's probably the nba's goal this whole process is to get eyes on that league yeah 100 with what you said not like five hundred thousand or however much they paid these g the guys is really that much to them uh, but they are dumping some some amount of money to get these guys on the floor and there's a reason for that so i have no doubt in my mind that the uh, nba is going to make an effort uh, to get these guys out and have them be watched you know, make it more accessible for the fans. And I can bet you the owners are going to be mad if they didn't, because as far as I'm aware, every owner is splitting this, this, this cost essentially 30 ways. So they all had to sign on to it or at least be okay with it. And if these guys don't, don't get the playing time they need, or the experiment doesn't work as well as it could, I think we're going to hear. Yeah. And, and that's another question, you know, what are the odds that this is really going to be successful and, you know, really turn into what they want it to be. Right. Yeah. It's, it's unseen territory right now. This is a completely new experiment as far as I'm aware. And I'm really interested to see how it turns out. And honestly, I think it's already changed some things. I mean, we all saw pretty much right after these announcements went out, the NCAA agreed a deal to start letting players profit from their likenesses and stuff like that, take endorsement deals. What do you guys think about the NCAA's counterpunch? You think it's enough to uh, get these top prospects to keep looking in the NCAA's direction as opposed to the G League? Fortunately, I do think it is. <laughs> I definitely see where, you know, the NCAA is coming from here. It's it must not have been an easy decision for all of those billionaires to decide to stop lining their pockets to the same extent. I can imagine somebody 
like Zion Williamson last year under this kind of structure probably would have been a millionaire already. I I do think that it is probably enough to win over the majority of prospects moving forward unless there are large structural changes to the G League process or if G League guys tend to turn out to be better prepared for the NBA going forward. I could see that amount of money moving moving them up but worth noting that the g league athletes are already allowed to do this because they will be professional athletes and not bound by that restriction of being able to profit off of their own likeness so i can i can see that people who are a fan of college basketball and want to kind of continue on that legacy people who go to blue blood schools definitely i could see this being enough to keep them there trent what do you think is this going to be enough to keep the top guys in school or are they going to end up going to the g league um i think that they're going to have to do a little bit uh, but honestly, I think people are going to want to end up coming back to school. I think there's more of a fun factor for these guys in it, right? You know, partying, you're the man on campus. Everywhere you go, everyone's shouting your name. Uh, and I think they're going to miss some of that, you know? They're making a lot of money in the G League, uh, but if they could do the same thing and have that college experience, I think it's a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, it is college at the end of the day, right? Like, uh, this is something that that a, a lot of kids in America go through. And it's definitely probably just a more comfortable social situation for them as well because of its similarity to the high school level. So, yeah, I can definitely see people just wanting to be comfortable. Uh, I am a, a little bummed out at how quickly the NCAA responded, though. I was kind of hoping this would be a big floodgate scenario where everybody just plays in the G League next year. Yeah, you see everybody on social media welcoming the death knell of the NCAA, only for them to rise from the grave and punch back. We were so time. close. Yeah, we were so close. We were so close. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh, I think it's been a long time coming. Everyone's been fighting to try to get uh, these players the money that they definitely deserve. Some of them, some of them, because, you know, I don't want to talk about the random guy that's sitting on the bench that, you know, walked on. I mean, does he deserve to get paid? Like, there's still a long way to go as far as how these guys are going to get paid and, you know, how to make everything fair. Yeah, it's definitely opened the market up. I mean, this competition between the NCAA and the G League can only really help players. It's just going to give them another pathway to develop their talents and their skill sets. And if they can make a little money doing it, or they the G League can push the NCAA into eventually giving up more to the players, um, I think that's that's all a good thing. I'm very pro player. And then, yeah, just another thing that I wanted to touch on from a fan perspective, as far as giving these athletes some money, right? I think it's going to really dampen, you know, the value of college basketball. When I watch, you know, these guys are giving their 110% effort and it's all basically for the love of the game. You know, maybe one player off of every three teams, not even three teams, one player off every five teams is going to the NBA. So they're not really out there for that. You know, they're out there just because they love it and they want to be out there with their brothers. And I think it makes the game way more enjoyable. So from a devil's advocate perspective here, what would you say about the players who are being paid under the table, potentially? You know, we've heard about guys, especially those who end up in the NBA, getting the bag to play in college. Do you think they're still playing for the passion of the game, even though they're getting paid? Well, I think it's pretty easy, you know, looking at a basketball game and telling who's really out there because they want to or who's really out there just because of, you know, the money or the lights or the glamour, whatever the case may be, it, it, it comes in your play style. It comes in the way that you prepare for every game. And just being a basketball fan for so many years, I think it's pretty easy to tell, you know, who's who. Fair enough. Just one more thing about the NCAA as well. If they were to bring in this, you know, wage scale or whatever the case may be, does that mean the bigger schools that are garnering the most views are going to have the most money? Because that could potentially, you know, sway athletes to one school, you know, right? You, you, get, you get what I'm saying, right? Like if one school has all the money, they're going to just bring in all the players um, and it's going to make, you know, John Morant's story never even be possible again. I could definitely see that. Definitely see that possibly happening. Um, and that would be probably the biggest ramification from that kind of scaling of the salaries that or the wages or whatever that 
uh, that sort of pay structure would end up looking like. Um, but yeah, I certainly would not like to give Duke any additional advantages <laughs> for, you know, scooping up top tier prospects. Um, I would like to see something flattened. Maybe you could put some restriction on like how recently you've made the tournament. I'm not sure if that's as, as, that really that great of an idea, but maybe some kind of other metric outside of just pure like stadium size or number of students. Um, I, I would certainly hope that they put in something that isn't just directly correlated with how popular the team yeah, is. Yeah, maybe even something like, you know, a base pay for every school, no matter how big or small you are, and then a modifier based on your brand and your school's success would work. And that sounds like a great idea, and I hope that it's able to work like that. But then also at the end of the day, you got to think these are, you know, multi-million dollar schools. They got to fund everything. Um, and pay players now, you know, it, it's just such a complicated thing from a money perspective. Um, and I think that's why it's taken so long for it to even happen. There are definitely a lot of logistical hurdles to get over with uh, making big structural changes to a longstanding organization like the NCAA. But hopefully what the G League is doing continues to push them towards doing the right thing and making players whole, uh, you know, giving them a cut of the profits for their talent. Yeah, 100% agree. Uh, especially when you have a guy like Zion walk in and just every single time that he plays, it's like people can't help but be glued to the TV. It also makes me wonder, you know, what about that, you know, random guy at the end of the bench? Like, is he getting paid too? We, we need to figure out, is every athlete getting paid or is it only the ones that are bringing in these crazy views? I guess I wouldn't really want to see Jack Hoiberg making as much money as, as Zion Williamson. But um, I, I, I do see, uh, yeah, that definitely being a hurdle. I, I would think at least as to what you mentioned previously about the wanting to play as part of a team or a brotherhood, there would definitely be some tensions if already at the collegiate level, you have to talk about who's making more money or who's contributing more to the team, or maybe a top prospect that is making a lot of money ends up not really being that impactful as a player that people didn't see coming. I would hope that a sort of flatter scale eliminates these words. To some extent, we already see something like this on the NBA level though, right? You know, like end of the bench guys, they're on contract, but they're not making max contracts. You know, they're not making crazy money, but these teams find a way to get along just fine. Or so it seems for the most part. Yeah, you definitely would like to see sort of just the chemistry of the team, kind of the brand of the team kind of take over in that sense and straighten them out. But I mean, it's not the first time that like kids have acted out like these these guys are 18 to 22 years old. Like this is just kind of something that happens and is a part of, a you know, just being a human being. So I, I could definitely see something happening in the future. Well, you got to think about the kids that are on the end of the bench aren't NBA players at this point, right? You know, they're just basically, I'm not trying to downplay the value of a D1 athlete, but you know, their whole plan was basically just go to school for four years. They're still getting a full ride. And then that's basically a hundred thousand dollars right there. They get a full ride. They have a job. Hopefully if they took school seriously, um, a good job to, you know, fund them for the rest of their lives. And that's kind of what these schools are giving those players. Yeah, that's true. So even at the lowest level, you know, even if you're the lowest on the totem pole of college basketball players, you still get that college education. That is your baseline pay. So I can definitely see an argument for that. You guys want to move on to NBA news? Yeah, let's do it. Big NBA news story in Chicago over the past week. Arturis Karnisivas has hired his new second-in-command, GM Mark Eversley, formerly of the Philadelphia 76ers. Eversley was a vice president of player personnel in Philly. And he's a former player relations specialist with Nike. Uh, what do you guys think of the hire? And what do you think this means for the Bulls going forward as they continue their front office restructure and potentially, you know, turning the roster over a little bit and flipping this rebuild on its head, potentially? Uh, I really like 
the Mark Eversley signing, you know, he's really good with the players. But one thing that's kind of concerning to me is his relationship with Brian Colangelo. He was the one that brought him into the NBA scene back in 2006 for the Raptors. And then he actually rehired him again in Philadelphia in 2016. So let me know what, you know, what do you guys think about his relationship with Colangelo? Does that matter to you guys? It was kind of a little bit of a red flag for me, but I got over it pretty quick. On one hand, I can see an argument in Eversley's favor in that you don't really get to choose who sees you as talent, right? And I think that if you are an executive that is looking to break into the NBA, you tend to trust outstretched arms, people who are trying to hire you. And in terms, you can't really pick your mentor at that sort of level. That being said, Brian Colangelo is definitely not one of my favorite people who have been an executive in over the last decade and a half of NBA basketball and the way that he was uh, relieved of his duties, whether or not that was of his own volition in Philadelphia um, makes me very uncomfortable. I also was not generally a, a fan of the work that he was doing in either of those places. He kind of just let Toronto wade in the water for half a decade. And when he was replaced, they immediately started getting better at a very rapid pace. And in Philadelphia, it looked like Kinky had a pretty solid trajectory for his vision of the team. And they immediately started uh, losing the, the value on a lot of the assets they had accumulated with sort of short-sighted win-now moves. If this is part of Eversley's resume as somebody who was a factor in those decisions, I would officially be worried. I was a little bit more interested in the candidates like Hughes from Los Angeles or Finley from Dallas, because those are teams that have made winning high caliber moves that have kind of redirected the direction of their franchises as of late. Philadelphia and Toronto have not done a especially inspiring job under Colangelo. I would agree with Hayden. I would say I'm a little concerned about the links to Brian Colangelo. I'll say straight up when the news came out that the Bulls were interested in or had interviewed Colangelo for the lead decision maker role, I was honestly horrified. I think Colangelo did a terrible job um, in Toronto and in Philly. And the way that uh, he left in such disgrace in Philly uh, doesn't, doesn't leave a great taste in the mouth when it comes to my evaluation of his performance. That said, it's a super minor concern in the grand scheme of things. Karnishevis said he wanted to hire somebody who kind of matches him in the sense that they're going to cover what he's weaker on, and he Karnishevis will cover what the new GM is a little weaker on. And as a player personnel guy, Eversley sounds like he's a huge win, one of the best. He has a great relationship with Joel Embiid. I think he was heavily involved in uh, scouting DeMar DeRozan and Damian Lillard, from what I remember. And he's got a, a huge back catalog of work with Nike working with players, so... Um, if he can help the Chicago Bulls become a destination for free agent targets in the future, I'm 100% for the hire. Yeah, I, I really like Eversley from that point of view. Um, he's basically going to be the face while Arturis, Pat Connolly, and J.J. Polk are kind of operating in the background, right? He's going to be the guy that's going to come out, talk to the players, and then the rest of the guys are going to do dirty work. So I think Arturis 100% got his guy in that regard, um, and I'm really excited to see what he's going to do here. I, I really like Eversley. Yeah, just to kind of jump in, in terms of the fit in the structure of the front office, him not being the lead guy is a little comforting. Like you said, the the interview with Colangelo and then ferrying Wilcox later that day was a little bit worrying because in terms of being, you know, I'm not sure exactly how much blame there is for Colangelo versus Eversley or, or what they were necessarily a part of, which decisions in that way. Um, but in a specific role where he's meant to kind of help with 
player relations, entice free agents, negotiate contracts, work on branding and those sorts of things. I can definitely see the value. This is something that New York has very heavily uh, prioritized with their hiring of Leon Rose to be their president of basketball operations. I, and it's just generally a turning point for the league. Rob Palenka and Bob Myers, both agents that turned out to be pretty solid GMs um, at the NBA level. I could definitely see this working in that way. I do kind of hope that um, Karnasovas has a sort of defined cut, like clear cut role for him, though, because I would like to see a, a little bit more voices to be heard uh, in terms of the decision by decision process making. And I, I am sure that they're going to flesh out the uh, front office structure a little bit more going forward. Yeah. And on that point of the Chicago Bulls clearly favoring player development and player personnel strategy in terms of this rebuild, in terms of restructuring their front office. Uh, Pat Connolly is another former player personnel guy. So the Bulls have doubled down on player personnel and it's clear what they're valuing going forward is amending those relationships with players and the, the perspective or rather the view of Chicago as a destination. Yeah, and that's a that's a going to be a gradual process. You can't jump on anything too quickly. I mean, as of as recently as last year, there have already been tensions with players that are currently on the roster in terms of how well they were adapting to the organization so i mean it's not going to be overnight uh that being said it's it's a, it's a strong uh decision moving forward i would say that if they can bring in some assistant gms that are on the analytics side that's a pretty diverse staff that's that's being built there so you have the cab guru and jj polk you have uh, double down on player personnel like you said mark eversley with tie to star players arturis karnisovis with um, his experience under Tim Connolly in Denver is a, a very successful front office, despite the fact that they're, the fruits of their labors are only now kind of coming uh, to bear. Um, if they can just kind of hammer out that analytics side of things, um, um, I think that would kind of round out this uh, this project that's being built. Yeah, I definitely think analytics is the next frontier in terms of rounding out this front office restructure. Trent, what do you think? What's next for the Bulls in terms of either restructuring their front office, their coaching staff, or perhaps even their player personnel? Um, I think they need to do, I mean, they obviously have Arturis and uh, Eversley has a pretty good scouting background as well, but I would have liked to see a little bit more guys like specifically scouts hired on that side, as well as the replacement of Tanaka, our health advisor, whatever you want to call him. Uh, he needs to go because for every single year for the past, maybe five or so, I feel like every single one of our players goes down with some type of catastrophic injury or they're out for a good chunk of the season. Um, and I would like to see that fixed as well, along with, you know, the big elephant in the room, which is going to be the firing of Jim Boylan. We do think Jim Boylan will be fired, right? Oh, I, I don't see how this is something that he could get away with <laughs> to keep this job. He can't keep getting away with this. No, seriously. Like the, so besides the fact that most new executives for teams prefer to kind of bring in their own person, I'm sure most as for interviews, I'm just kind of spitballing here, but for the interview process, I can imagine that they kind of lay out their idea of what the roster could take form of or what style of basketball or philosophy of basketball they subscribe to. And nine times out of 10, the current coach is not always the best fit for whatever the new vision is, even if that means downgrading the coach right away because it just doesn't gel with how they want to play in the future. That being said, it's pretty hard to downgrade from Jim Boylan. And I think that uh, moving forward, you'll definitely see a little bit more of a chatter about him losing his seat as we get more confirmation about whether the season is really over. I don't think Karnasvis uh, being hired technically mid-season, quote unquote, you know, it's still up in the air as to how this is going to all play out. Um, doesn't really want the press of kind of firing the guy immediately before he gets a chance 
to continue to coach under you know the new structure of the front office if we can get confirmation that the that the regular season is in fact over which i think all signs are pointing towards we'll see a lot more traction in, in that regard in terms of getting him out yeah i could definitely see that and from ak's point of view you know i'm sure he wanted to get his second in command in to help advise on this decision before you know he does anything in terms of coaching changes plus they probably want to interview all the players get their get their feelings on boylan's performance so far and whether or not he's the right man to take the team to the promised land yeah, 100%. And I think that Arturis was kind of thrown into a golden situation. And I think a lot of Bulls fans and, you know, people in the media in general were kind of blinded from, you know, how good of a spot the Bulls are actually in. We have so much young talent and we're only adding more. Um, I know that really hasn't shown in the win department, but I think like, let's say any, any player requests a trade right now, I think the Bulls are up there with some of the best possible packages can be offered. We have our future picks as well as a lot of good young assets. So that's something good for us. We also have a lot of cap flexibility and now we have the right management. So I'm really excited to see uh, what the Bulls are going to be doing going forward because we are in such a good spot. Yeah, the Bulls are definitely in a great spot. You know, strong young core between Kobe White, Lowry Markinen, Zach Levine, Wendell Carter Jr., um, clean cap sheet, like you said, going forward after 2020, um, uh, a top three market in the league and now a new management regime. So if the Bulls do make a coaching change, who would you guys like to see become the new head coach of the Chicago Bulls? And what direction do you want to see the coach take our team in? Trent, we can start with you. To start off, I think this is the most obvious one. Adrian Griffin, the assistant from Toronto, has done a really great job over there. He has a lot of connections to the Bulls previously, and I think that's definitely a good look to start things off. Hayden, what about you? Who are your uh, top head coaching candidates going forward for the Bulls? I think I think Griffin makes a lot of sense. Uh, him and Arturis Knisvis actually played together at Seton Hall, um, so I can uh, there is that connection. Adrian Griffin also obviously an assistant, uh, former assistant for the Bulls as well, and has just generally been uh, in talks for head coaching positions for a number of years now. There's a lot of people who have uh, are close to him who have kind of uh, indicated that he is ready for that next step in the coaching level. I personally would would love to see him take the chance. Um, I'm not super intimate with how he likes to play basketball, but somebody with close ties with the new management and how they would like to play, I do kind of trust in that process. The other name that was kind of cropping up was Ime Udoka, who is the assistant coach for the 76ers, I think formerly for the Spurs as well. That's, that would also be an interesting one. I believe he is a uh, Popovich disciple, although that hasn't really gone super well for us in recent years. But I'd also be willing to give him a chance. He'd also interviewed for a number of positions as well. Yeah, you guys mentioned Adrian Griffin, uh, Ime Udoka, Darnell Mayberry listed both of those guys as potential options in his most recent article for The Athletic. Another guy that I'd like to mention is Kenny Atkinson. I mean, just got off, off another NBA job where I thought he did a great job developing young players and building a culture for a team that had been losing for a long time. So I'd like to see him get a look in, maybe an interview um, as a potential option. Yeah, I think Atkinson is certainly going to get an interview or at least, you know, have the opportunity to obtain the job. He is the most direct NBA experience as a head coach out of all of the available coaches. I mean, unless you want to point to somebody like Dave Yeager, who I strongly doubt the uh, new management would be interested in bringing in, given his kind of his, his butting heads of previous management groups that he's worked under in the past. But Atkinson in particular, I could see them you know, going with. The one thing that I strike I have against him is that it does seem to be at this point that he is a little bit more of a developmental coach than one that really brings uh, teams over the hump. Um, I'm a friend with a number of, uh, of Nets fans 
um, in real life and, and online. And there are a lot of grievances with how he handles uh, plays out of timeouts, how he manages rotations. So I, I think that there are questions to be had about Kenny Atkinson, about whether he is really the guy that can kind of take him a straight shot all the way up to contention. But if that's not the goal and we're willing to ride this out, and I certainly am, I'm in no rush to get this thing out of the door. Um, Atkinson is, is a really good start to just kind of help the guys learn how to play ball. Yeah, I'd agree with that. From an X's and O's standpoint, there are some concerns about Atkinson, but like you said, I'm willing to take some time to make sure we make the right decision and that the Bulls develop their young talent the best way they possibly can. As we all know, John Paxson has always said it, there are no quick fixes. So we're in it for the long haul. Hey man, he's still going to be at the press conferences. I guarantee that much. So hopefully we, you know, we're going to get a, at least a few more beautiful quotes out of, out of his bald head. Please, please, Evan, you, you can't be doing the John Paxson quotes, man. I'm going to lose it. Okay. We just got rid of him. Uh, if I hear another one, I might. Yeah. I don't think we've seen the last of John Paxson quite yet. So with that, do we want to get to the last NBA story? Yeah, I can, I can kind of bring this in. Um, it's something that is worth touching on, although there's not really a whole lot to kind of get into, but it is worth noting that the NBA has had some interesting developments with how the coronavirus has affected the availability of training facilities across the country with the news of places like Georgia opening up to include gyms in the coming weeks um, against health recommendations and guidelines, I should mention. Um, to the point where even the president, who I think most people would agree has not been handling this process very much, has been criticizing the decision to do so. Um, this has led to um, presumably a lot of players with cabin fever asking their teams if they can travel to these places in order to work out, in order to get back into game shape and prepare for the season. A lot of players in the NBA have personal gyms and that sort of thing, but not all. And not everyone has access to high caliber indoor sort of setups. So there has been a, a development from the NBA, which will open up existing NBA training facilities and stadiums in very limited capacities that will allow players to do that without endangering them by going to public places or to all go to the same place as well. Yeah, I guess there's two ways to look at it. There's the way that I was thinking about it before we had discussed this, the idea that opening these workout places up for teams, first of all, would be a competitive balance issue for teams in states where facilities could not be opened. And at the same time, that social distancing isn't really possible in an NBA workout environment. But like you said, if this is a decision that's being made to keep players from flying out to other states where they could be put in harm's way, then it might be the lesser... I think that there's something to be said about just having the information that they were in the facility or with, you know, team staff and faculty's eyes on them. There is some question marks as to how safe it would be to practice in other environments. There are also question marks as to how safe it is to practice in the current structure that the NBA has offered, but they can more closely manage it, maybe enforce social distancing a little bit more serious than like an LA fitness in Atlanta. And also they, if they are thick or they are vulnerable to the disease or manage to catch it, them being on team grounds makes it easier to both test for and kind of keep an eye on in that regard as well, rather than kind of checking in via phone or via their personal trainer, if they were to kind of do so in their private time 
in in other places, uh, more personalized facilities. And for what it's worth, it does seem like the NBA is trying to take some precautions in terms of reopening this, these facilities. From what I've read, only two basketball personnel and up to four players can be on site at any one time. So they are trying to meet that fewer than 10 people in a public place, social distancing criteria as much as they possibly can. I just want to say that I'm really scared that they're going to try to do something too early and end up messing it up for everyone. You know, kind of just setting, taking two steps forward to take 10 steps back. I just hope that if they ever do end up doing something, that they take all the necessary precautions um, and don't do anything too hastily. Because I would hate to see, you know, any of our uh, favorite players have to go through something that they did not want to experience. Yeah, definitely agree with that. So if the NBA thinks they can do it in a safe way and the players and coaching staff are going to buy in and do it right and make sure nobody else gets COVID-19, then I say they should go for it. But that said, I do have some real concerns. Yeah, and you definitely don't want the uh, the dissonance as well between the NBA facilities and the states that surround them as well, because they're is there are going to be questions about why NBA players are exempt from the rules of the states that they are currently playing in. Um, for example, I live in New York. Um, so if the Knicks and the Nets were to start practicing, um, that would immediately violate the New York City guidelines um, for social distancing and for meeting size. Um, I believe six is the limit currently. They're breaking up funerals. They're breaking up uh, uh, gatherings of basically any kind. Um, it is... Uh, difficult to see a situation in which the NBA gets out completely PR scandal free from this, given the difference in how the states govern um, and how the NBA wants to kind of, like, kind of institute this in a uniform way. I don't think there's a way around criticism or maybe even investigations um, in, in some way here. So I really do hope that they're doing their homework before they go ahead with this. Yeah, a lot of logistical things that the NBA will have to sort out before they're even close to reopening facilities for workouts or um, after that, getting games going back if, if the season even returns. So definitely something we'll keep an eye on and we will inform uh, our listeners about as we find out more information. Yeah, definitely. And then one more thing. Uh, I just want to say this for the pod one time. Uh, ripping the chat for the Lakers, man, because, you know, if they aren't able to get this thing back on the road, they basically gave up B.I., Lonzo, and all those picks for absolutely nothing. Uh, they're not going to recruit a championship out of it. It's just it's just terrible, man. I was thinking about that the other day, and it's just awful. That That is really unfortunate, yes. Yeah, it's pretty rough to lose any of LeBron's career seasons. I mean, he's probably going to go down for me as the second greatest player of all time, and that's a debate for another day. Yeah, it, it's definitely just a shame because it, it looked like, I mean, there were a lot of complaints about the, the quality of play this season because of how kind of flat the odds were. I mean, I think I think the Lakers and the, and the Bucks definitely pulled ahead, but there were a lot of arguments that um, by people who are, I mean, not exactly opinions that I hold, but for example, that teams like the Celtics pose a significant challenge or the Sixers pose a significant challenge to the Bucks in the playoffs or that the Clippers are still the, uh, better playoff team versus the Lakers. I really wish that I could um, actually see these things play out. I think that um, there was a lot of uh, interesting, like upset potential or like the Houston experiment. How far can that go in the playoff setting? Um, and then losing a year off of all these guys, you know, it's not going to be exactly the same coming in next year. There's going to be players that are, that were, that become better next year unexpectedly there will be players that age just one year too far and they fall off their athletic cliff and are unable to contribute 
um it's it's definitely a shame because you know the season as it is is now kind of just this time capsule this big old what if it's very unfortunate yeah it's going to go down as one of the weirdest seasons of all time in any sport ever and for all sports for this season really um it's it's going to be pretty rough to lose all those storylines if we do indeed end up losing them i hope basketball comes back but at the end of the day it's about doing the right thing for people's health and safety and so i guess we'll see what happens yeah, absolutely i wouldn't i wouldn't compromise that uh in any way shape or form if if that was the the trade that had to be made so definitely and we'll keep an eye on it going forward uh with that said is there anything else you guys wanted to discuss or uh anything you want to plug before we get out of here trent we can start with you uh no man i just want to say stay safe out there uh wash your hands you know and uh we'll see you guys soon all right keep it easy hayden you got anything to send us out uh yeah well you can you can follow us uh, on twitter trent's at bball eval evan is at easy underscore hoops I'm at HBB underscore Robo, that's R-O-B-O, and you can find our podcast, Floor General, at Floor General Pod. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you soon. Have a good one, guys. Stay safe.